Leviticus 23, beginning in verse one, the Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these for six days. Work may be done, but on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, the twilight is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the month of of the same month, there is a feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. And for seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the seventh day, it is a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give to you, you reap its harvest. Then you shall bring in a sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. And you shall wave the sheaf before the Lord um, for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, one year old, without defect for a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall then be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord for a soothing aroma, with its drink offering a fourth a hen of wine. Until this same day, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf, For the wave offering, uh, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah. And you shall be it shall be a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Along with the bread, you shall present seven one year old lambs without defect, a bull from the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings an offering by fire of soothing aroma to the Lord. You shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs, one year old for a sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall then wave them with the bread of the first fruits for the wave offering with two lambs before the Lord. They are to be holy to the Lord for the priest. On the same day, you shall make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. You should do no laborious work. It is to be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap it to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleanings of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do you shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying on exactly the 10th day of the seventh month it is the day of atonement and shall be a holy convocation for you. And you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall do no uh, not do any work on the same day, for it is to be a day of atonement to make an atonement on your behalf before the Lord, your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. 
As for any person who does any work on the same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no work on it at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. You shall humble your souls on the ninth of the month at evening and from evening until morning. You shall keep your Sabbath. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying on the 15th of this seventh month is a feast of booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days, you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings each day's matter on its own day. Besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord and besides your gifts and besides all of your votive and freewill offerings, which you shall give to the Lord on exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and bows of leafy boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord, your God, for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in a year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month and you shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths. So that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them uh, from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for its truth. Father, thank you for the ways that you established. In the old covenant that point to Jesus and his great fulfillment in the new. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, we have um, all of the high holy feast days, all of the uh, implications of the Sabbath and the reality of the Passover, all listed here together in Leviticus chapter 23. And and so I, I, w- I want to walk through this, just kind of the, the list of of these. And then I want to kind of break down each one and kind of give a brief synopsis because we're not going to go into great large details about every one of these Sabbaths and Passovers and feast days and all that kind of thing. But just just to kind of get some running themes and then we'll see what we can see about the connection of Christ and the new covenant reality as we move forward. So it starts with in the beginning of Leviticus 23, speaking generically about the Sabbath. And so it just talks about how there's supposed to be a Sabbath. Now, if you read through the whole chapter like we just did, you can kind of get a feeling that that Sabbath mandate and recognition and acknowledgement at the very beginning of this chapter seems a little out of place because it just talks about the Sabbath and then it starts talking about all these holy feast days and convocations and festivals and what kind of offerings you bring when you have them and how long they last and what day they're supposed to start on. And it just seems kind of strange that there's this command for a Sabbath that we already know exists and it's made reference to. And then all these very specific festivals are, are talked about. So um, 
what should we gather from that? Well, first, this is just a reference to the basic Sabbath. It's one of the, the it's one of the references to what we call the Ten Commandments. There's that you're to keep the Sabbath days to be a holy day. Um, why is it included here when all the rest of these are more festivals and feast days and, and new kind of establishments of law? Most likely it's included here because most of these feast days include some prohibition for work. If you kind of really pay close attention to the requirements for most of these feast days, you heard it said over and over again when I just read it. You'll do no laborious work on that day or you'll do no laborious work for that week or you'll do no laborious work on the first day and no laborious work on the last day or however it looked. There, there was a lot of that surrounding these feasts. And so a number of these feasts can be considered sabbatical feasts, Sabbath feast, if you will, because whether it fell on a Sabbath or not, part of the feast was to be treated in that way. So even if it started on a Tuesday, you needed to treat that Tuesday like it was a Sabbath because it was mandated in this way to do that. And so there was just kind of this starting reminder. And so the first major celebration that's listed here is the one that was established even prior to them wandering and before the book of Leviticus. It would have been established in the in the Exodus and it's the Passover. You see this in uh, Leviticus 23, 5. It starts talking about the the the, the notion of. The Passover. Um, now, the Passover was a spring celebration. The month that it was supposed to be celebrated in was a spring celebration. And as most of you will know, it was a celebration of God's deliverance out of Egypt. And so, you know, the plagues were coming in. The last plague was the death plague and the, the, the death angel was going to come and he was going to kill the firstborn male child in all the houses. And um, and, you know, you're supposed to sacrifice the lamb and splatter the lamb's blood across the doorpost so that the 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 language when translated is so that that death angel would pass over the house that had the blood on it and so that nobody in that house would die. And that's where we get the notion of the concept of Passover from. The tradition of Passover in, in Jewish life has changed quite a bit over time. And so the version of, and I, I, I say version, the versions, plural, of Passover that exist in the Jewish world today are Many of them quite distinct from just the basic biblical regulation of what the Passover should look like. But the essence from the biblical mandate for the Passover is this. There was the killing and consuming of a lamb as a reminder that a lamb was supposed to be slaughtered and that the blood was supposed to be spread over the doorpost. They did not require the spreading of the blood over the doorpost in subsequent generations, just that first one where they were still slaves in Egypt. But the killing of the lamb and the eating of the lamb remained as a reminder, hey, some animal died and its blood was spread so that we would be delivered from death. And then the connection with the eating of unleavened bread. Those were really the only two prominent meaningful things as given in the biblical text for the Passover. And of course, over time, there were uh, herbs added, uh, wine and or cups of wine added. And, and they had various and, and sundry meanings in the text, but uh, in the tradition. But from the text, it was the death of the lamb 
the consumption of unleavened bread as a reminder of the event that occurred in Egypt. And so the second one that we see, and I'm just going to kind of walk through these. The second one we see is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which happens the day after Passover. So it's also a spring festival. Um, in verses 6 through 8 is where you see some of the details that it's often associated with Passover because it starts the very next day. And, and many people view it as one continuous celebration. Like you celebrate the Passover Almost as the kind of first day kickoff, really, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Like That's how some people really kind of view that. Um, uh, of course, the very first day of, of this is has, has some distinctions here. But it's usually associated because they're connected together. Um, it, it was a continued celebration. Its meaning and its purpose in the biblical text is it was a continued celebration of God's deliverance from Egypt and the removing of leaven from the home and people's lives. And so you have a whole week of this festival of unleavened bread. The notion being the removal of leaven from the home, the removal. We can't take it with us. We have to go quickly clean all the leaven out, it says in the book of Exodus. And so there was none there in the home. And it included, if you go back and read verses 6 through 8, it included offerings by fire, which enumerated in the book of Numbers and later in Deuteronomy, meant animal sacrifices. So it's connected with Passover sacrifice of the lamb and it's connected with other animal sacrifices as offerings by fire during the course of that week. Now, the the next festival is is some some don't view this as an independent festival necessarily, but regulations for it are given here in the book of Leviticus. So many throughout the history of the Jewish nation have celebrated this as an independent festival, it has a lot of different names. Some call it the Feast of the Ingathering. Some call it the Feast of Barley or the, 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 the Feast of the Wave Offering. There's a whole bunch of different ways that it's talked about. Uh, but in verses 9 through 14, this is also a spring festival, a spring celebration. Some, like I said, consider it separate. Some, though, view it as an extension of what just happened with Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But it has its own unique regulations. When it's supposed to start, what you're supposed to do while it started, what's supposed to happen while it's going on. And essentially what this was, it was a celebration of God's provision of the spring harvest. This is when barley would come in. This is when they would have their initial harvest of, of barley. And it included burnt offerings. So there was sacrifice of animals included in this festival as well. And so then you move to the, the, the next one, the last one that's like uh, late spring, early summer, and it's the Feast of Weeks. You see this in verses 15 through 22, also known to us as Pentecost because it's 50 days removed from the previous festival. And so it was celebrated seven weeks and one day. That's 50 days. Hence, Pentecost is what that means after that barley festival that we just talked about. And essentially what this one was, it was a celebration of the wheat harvest and the early summer first fruits that would come come in. And so what was very unique about this festival, and it's one of the few places in the Old Testament that affirms the value and use of leaven. But it was supposed to be celebrated with leavened bread, not unleavened bread. Like you had in the previous celebration. And part of what was going on symbolically there. And, th- and this is actually a really cool picture to see. Is if you follow all of these festivals kind of in order. It's we want you to remember that I took you away from Egypt. That land of paganism and sin and slavery and bondage. And you did not bring any of Egypt's leaven with you. 
And then you made it to the land of promise and you had your barley harvest. And now we're going to have a celebration of the wheat harvest. And we want you to take some of the leaven that you would have gotten from the barley in the new place, not in Egypt, and put it in with the wheat and leaven that bread with the new things that God has given you, not the old things that used to be in Egypt. And so it's very fascinating to see that it's this far removed before they celebrate anything with leavened bread. Because it can't be the leaven of Egypt. It has to be the leaven of the new promised land. The place where God is fulfilling his promises to his people. And that's the, a good leaven instead of a bad leaven like we usually think about leaven. Now what's intriguing about the celebration of Pentecost is that it also had animal sacrifices. In fact, it had multiple animal sacrifices during the time of its celebration. All right, and so then the next festival after Pentecost in 23 verses 23 through 25 is what's known as the Feast of Trumpets. There's some other names that it goes by, uh, but it was celebrated in the fall. So this is several months removed from the other uh, celebrations that we've seen to this point. And it was a preparation for repentance. The, it preceded the Day of Atonement by just a short period of time. And it was a... The whole reality of it was, is God is calling us because the sounding of the trumpet or the sounding of the horn, if you will, in the Jewish nation only had a few meanings. It was a call to war. Or it was a call to repentance. Those are the two prominent meanings of the sounding of that. And they're saying, listen, we're in this promised land now. It's not a call for war. We've received the land of peace. Receive the land of promise. And so what we're doing is we're calling ourselves to repentance. We're preparing our hearts for the great day of atonement that is coming. And this one also included several animal sacrifices. And then you have next after that verses 26 through 32, the day of atonement. And we covered that if you weren't with us, we covered that extensively in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17. So I won't break down all the details of that again. But that is the greatest sacred day in the old covenant reality. It's the day the entire nation would come together and the entire nation would have their sins forgiven before the Lord. Obviously, it also included animal sacrifice. And then at the end, the last festival that's listed in, in chapter 23 is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, if you will. Um, and it also happened here in the later part of fall. And it was the celebration of two unique things. First, it was the celebration of the fall harvest. And it even talks about that here in the Leviticus text. Hey, you're going to be gathering in all of these things, the, the crops that you've grown. And we're going to celebrate that the fact that you're able to have a harvest and able to grow crops and gain an increase. Whereas before you were wandering in a desert where you couldn't grow anything and God had to provide things almost miraculously for you. Now he's fulfilled his promise to you. He's given you a land flowing with milk and honey. He's given you a place where you can grow your crops. He's given you a chance to actually harvest those crops. And so there's going to be a celebration of the fact that God has kept his promise to you. And to remember how things were before that. Because there's going to be a generation very quickly that never experienced the wilderness. They only experienced the promised land. And so to remember and to recall how things were before you could get such a great harvest to come in. When you were in the desert wandering around and God was having to make these provisions for you. They would have people live in these booths for the week. 
as a reminder of God's provision during the wilderness wandering. And of course, during this time, during that week, there were multiple animal sacrifices. So I want to break down for a second. And for those of you concerned, it being Lord's Supper Day, this is white grape. So I'm staying in keeping with what the Lord's table will be later. Um, I want us to kind of walk through and, and not extensively, but briefly. I want us to walk through Jesus as the fulfillment of all of these things. Now, I've given you some cross references. We're not going to turn there. I'm going to encourage you to go read these later. The reason that we're not going to turn there is some of these cross-references are pretty expansive. I would have to read whole chapters, multiple chapters, in one case an entire book of the New Testament to you. And we're just not going to take the time to do all of that this morning. So if you don't trust my cross-references, please look them up later. And if I got one wrong, we can talk about it when I get back in town from vacation. So, Jesus asks fulfillment. So, We know that Jesus is our Sabbath. It says it multiple times in multiple places in the New Testament. That Jesus is our Sabbath. One of the best chapters to see this argument clearly made is Hebrews chapter 4. So I've given you that cross-reference for you to go and see how extensively Christ is the fulfillment of the notion of being our Sabbath rest. Next, Jesus is our Passover He's explicitly, the reason I give you this one verse reference, there's a lot of other places where you can come to the realization that Jesus is our Passover. The reason I give you this one verse reference from 1 Corinthians 5, 7 is because it says Jesus, our Passover, like it, like there, because I've actually had people in my life when I talk about Jesus fulfilling things in the Old Testament say, no, 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 the Passover separate, it's its own thing. Jesus is separate. He's his own thing. Like, stop trying to, like, make stuff disappear in Jesus. And it's like, Paul said he's our Passover. Like, he used those words. Like, those exact words. Like, didn't say he's like it or similar to it. It wasn't a simile or a metaphor. Jesus is our Passover. That's what he is. Okay. So, if we can all agree with Paul, that'd be awesome. And then... The the third one, Jesus is our bread. So you have this celebration of unleavened bread. And in John 6, you have this wonderful declaration from Jesus about he's bread from heaven. He's the true bread. You have to eat his body. Uh, There's a host of other places where Jesus talks about being the bread of life and a variety of things. So Jesus is our bread. So that's the celebration of this unleavened bread reality. Jesus is our harvest. You see this in Luke 8. The ingathering of the redeemed happens because of Jesus. When you hear the story about the seed being scattered, this wonderful parable, and some seed goes on rough ground and some seed goes into spaces where it grows up quickly and it gets scorched out by the sun. Some seed gets eaten by birds. But then there's some seed that lands on good soil and it creates this great harvest and this great return of this harvest. And when Jesus, one of the few parables he explains to us, he's like, look, seeds, the gospel. And what's the gospel? It's the story of who Jesus is. The gospel is the declaration of the wondrous story of the incarnation of Jesus, his death, burial and resurrection and his power to forgive sins. 
When that hits good ground, and what is good ground? Hearts that are prepared and ready by God to receive this story. Those hearts produce great fruit. Why do they produce great? Because they're better than everybody else and they've got it all together and they turned over a new leaf and they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. No, they produce a great harvest because God in his kindness through grace in Christ has prepared their heart to be good soil to receive this great message about Jesus. And Jesus has borne fruit in them through the power of his work. Jesus is our harvest. That's what he does. He's the one who bears good fruit in us through the work of the spirit and the power of the gospel. Next, Jesus provides for us the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Great story in Acts 2. <coughs> great story in Acts 2. There's this great preaching at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit leading the apostles to do what? To declare the incarnation and the resurrection. The great power of the gospel. And people are pricked to their hearts and they call out, what must we do? Repent, be baptized, every one of you. And it says that over 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. There's this falling down of the Holy Spirit that leads to this great event on that great day. It's fantastic. Jesus has done this for us. Jesus is our trumpet of repentance and resurrection. There is a trumpet story in the New Testament. There's a sounding of a trumpet, it says. It's calling in. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us who remain will meet them in the air. And we will all be together with the Lord. Well, who gets to participate in that? Those who've repented of their sins. Friends, the call in Leviticus of the trumpet to prepare for repentance is fulfilled in a greater way by the call of a trumpet to the final and great resurrection for those who have repented in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus is our day of atonement. The book of Hebrews. Now, one Sunday when I was doing some of the priest stuff and some of the atonement stuff, I read like, I don't know, seven chapters out loud in the sermon from Hebrews to show what was going on. We could do that again. Or you could really just take my word for it that pretty much the whole book of Hebrews says Jesus is a greater priest and he's a fulfillment of the day of atonement. I'm totally fine if you want to go home and read the book of Hebrews. That would be a great exercise for everybody to do to read God's word. And when you read it, you'll see that Jesus is a fulfillment of the greater priesthood and the reality of the, for the fulfillment of the day of atonement. So the whole book of Hebrews talks about that. And then Jesus is our deliverance from... The wilderness. This is the only one that I will have us turn to. Flip over to John chapter 7. Because I want you to see how cool this story is. John chapter 7. <clears throat> so this is saying that Christ is the fulfillment of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so I want you to see this. So John chapter 7, down in verse 37. It says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast. And if you walk through John and time it out, the, 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 the feast that they're celebrating here is the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast, 
This last one listed in Leviticus chapter 23. So on the last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out. Now, remember, let's keep in mind what they're what they're recalling. They're recalling God's provision when they were wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, and they had no provision. God had to give them bread from heaven. God had to give them um, uh, uh, birds to come that they could eat. God had to have Moses strike the rock to give them water because they didn't have water to drink. God had to provide them with everything that they needed because they had nothing that would allow them to stay alive. That's what they're remembering when they're celebrating the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles and they're living in these temporary shelters for the week, recalling to mind God's great provision during the wilderness wandering. And then Jesus does this. It says, on the last great day of the feast, this feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, because on the last great day of the feast, they would come and they would do like a water sacrifice in memoriam to Moses, providing water through the struck rock and a whole host of other things. There was a lot of symbolism going on. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Not the rock that Moses struck. Not the scrounging in the in the in the small places of the desert trying to find fresh water. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet Glorified Friends, they're celebrating a reminder of God's provision for them in the desert of bread and of meat and of water. And Jesus stands up on that last great day of that feast and he says, listen, if you're thirsty. And you want the divine being to supply water for you, then come to me and I'll give it to you. Jesus is saying something incredible about himself. In this moment, that he's the fulfillment of that. So how do we bring all this to kind of a, a, a head, a, a conclusion? Like where, where do we where do we get some application from this? So the question then becomes, how do these feasts and these Sabbaths apply to Christians today? So there's a short answer. They don't. Now, that would be like really rude of me to just do that. And then like y'all stand up and we'll sing, you know, um, because you might want to know why they don't or how they don't. Maybe you think that they do and you're in disagreement that they don't. How do these apply to Christians today? They don't. That's the short answer. The longer answer is this. Jesus has fulfilled each and every one of these. All of these Sabbaths and feast days and festivals were looking ahead to the Messiah who would come. The Messiah has come. So now we have the privilege of our space in time to look back to the Messiah himself. 
Because he's already come. We don't have to look through types and shadows in hopes of his coming. Instead, we can just look to the fact that he has come and praise God, we do have something to look forward to. He is coming again. And so we have a different historical perspective. Praise God. Because I don't know about you, but I am so delighted that God had me born in a time and an era where Christ has already come and he has already died and he has already been risen from the dead and he is already seated at the right hand of God making intercession for me. And I don't have to filter my thoughts of my sin and my deliverance from sin through types and shadows. Rather, I can look at the one who has fulfilled my desire to be made whole before God. And I don't have to cipher through, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? And what does this look like? And what does that represent? It represents Christ and he has come. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. But there's a second element as to why I make the statement that these don't really apply to Christians today. There's a common theme in all of these feast days and festivals that we see in Leviticus chapter 23. And it's this and it's very important and we cannot... We cannot neglect noticing this. Every one of these festivals and feast days included the blood sacrifice of an animal to properly celebrate it. You had to kill an animal, blood sacrifice, to properly celebrate every one of these feast days, every one of them, including the Passover. You had to do that. An animal had to die. Or you have not properly celebrated any of these feasts. Christians are called to no longer participate in the blood sacrifice system. It has become obsolete because of the blood of Jesus. Christ has shed his blood for us. His once for all better sacrifice in the true holy hidden tabernacle made without hands. Superior in every way to the first six chapters of the book of Leviticus. That's what he's done for us. In fact, even in the Passover, Jesus transformed in his last Passover before his crucifixion. He transformed the central focus of that meal from the sacrifice of the lamb, the blood sacrifice, and exchanged it as we're going to actually celebrate. I'm not smart enough to do this. It's God's providence that we're doing this today. Um, that he exchanged the sacrifice of the lamb, a blood sacrifice for the items of the bread and the cup. Bloodless sacrifices, no blood shed in the gathering together of grains for the bread, the gathering together of the grapes to be crushed for the drink. He took the chief element of the Passover, which was the lamb, and he pushed it out. I am the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You will not have its blood. You'll have my blood. Now I will make a declaration that this fruit, a bloodless sacrifice, is now my blood. And that this grain, a bloodless sacrifice, is now my body. 
And so for the Christian, we have two great rituals and two great rituals only. We have baptism. Which, by the way, is a picture of sacrifice and resurrection, but it's bloodless. It's the picture of the death and burial of Christ, and it's the picture of our participation in the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. But it is without blood. Because Christ's blood is sufficient and we need no other blood besides his. And the second great ritual that we have as Christians is the Lord's table. Which, as I mentioned, is it was done and established at the at the celebration of the Passover meal. Jesus gathered his disciples together. They're celebrating the Passover. The central focus of the Passover was that lamb that had been sacrificed. And now it represents bloodless death. It's a representation of Christ's body and Christ's blood without the death of an animal, which is profoundly significant for the new covenant reality. Because in the new covenant, we don't make blood sacrifices. The new covenant is the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. He has died for us. The the blood of lambs and bulls of goats can in no way forgive us of our sins. The writer to Hebrews says. Can't be done. And so Christ's blood and Christ's body is now represented by crushed fruit and crushed grain. Because Christ Jesus himself, as I said a moment ago, is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The lamb that has come to take away the sins of the world. The lamb who has a once for all sacrifice. And there's no longer any need now and forevermore for Christ to be represented by the death of any animal. For Christ's death is greater and superior in every way, both now and forever. And so when we look at these festivals, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot about what they were looking toward. Because all of these point to some great deliverance someday in the future. That's what they all point to. But they were never fully complete. You had to do them. What did it say? Remember what it said in Leviticus? If you're still there, what did it say? This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling. You got to keep doing it. And by the way, every single one of them listed in Leviticus 23, the Sabbath, the Passover and all the major feast days. They are all under the umbrella of do them all every generation forever. Keep all the Sabbaths, keep all the Passovers, keep all the high holy feast days. And don't ever stop keeping them. Why? Because their sin and their sin before God, their rebellion before God, their lost condition before God in the system of animal sacrifice was never fully satisfied. Because the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and whatnot cannot satisfy the demand of God on those who've been made in his image. They point past themselves to someone greater. And praise be to God. Christ Jesus has come. The great high priest. The tabernacle. The altar. And the sacrifice. 
And he has shed his blood for our souls. So I don't have to look through elements toward his coming to forgive me. Now I get to look through elements toward his second coming of final redemption. Do this as often as you do in remembrance until the Lord comes. His second coming, the final resurrection, the place and the time and the day when all things are made new and man properly is conformed to the image of Christ and he bears the full image of God. I don't have to look through the shadows anymore at the deliverance from sin because Christ has delivered me because of his work on the cross. Now I can look through the horizon At this great wilderness that I'm wandering through of this unredeemed earth to the great and true promised land that is greater than the nation state of Israel. The great and true promised land of the new heaven and the new earth when Christ redeems all things in his glory. And friends, that's far superior in every way to any feast day that we would see in the book of Leviticus. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that Christ Jesus has come and he has fulfilled the types and the shadows. Thank you that he is our Sabbath. Thank you that he is our Passover. Thank you that he is our bread, that he is our harvest, that he is our Pentecost, that he is our trumpet of repentance and resurrection, that he is our day of atonement, that he is our true deliverance from the wilderness in which we wander. Praise be to God. The blood of Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. Thank you. Thank you. Father, thank you that we are no longer obligated To make animal sacrifices to recall to mind the glory of Christ. For the glory of Christ's sacrifice is sufficient and enough in itself. And Father, thank you that as we celebrate this table together in a moment, that Christ himself has given new and greater meaning to these elements. Filling the cup with the meaning of his blood and filling the bread, which before was a hastiness of of fleeing without the ability to have leaven and leaving the leaven of Egypt behind, but now is a picture of not being leavened by our old sin, but being made new because we can consume the bread of life that is Jesus Christ himself. It's his body. It's his blood. It's his new covenant. Father, we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.